Absence, absence, absence makes the heart grow fonder. That's an old uh, adage that really is true, isn't it? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. You know, before I met uh, my wonderful wife, my sophomore year in college, uh, prior to meeting her, I had applied to study in a foreign country for a semester. It was in Costa Rica. And so I had signed up. I was ready to go. We were, I was going to learn uh, Spanish language, culture, and history in Costa Rica. But, of course, I went because I wanted to go surfing in Costa Rica. And, and I was all revved up, ready to go my freshman year. The, the, the semester that I would be going would be my junior year, but I was signing up a year in advance. So excited. Couldn't wait to go. And then sophomore year came, the year before I was about to leave, and a lady named Casey showed up in my life. And all of a sudden, the desire to go to Costa Rica just went down the drain. Nevertheless, I had signed up. I had applied. I had put down somewhat of a deposit. And I'm not one to squander uh, when I spend a little bit of money. And so... In as much as it was difficult to leave this beautiful woman uh, as I was dating her in college, we decided to part ways. And I went on the trip to Costa Rica, the semester abroad uh, in Costa Rica. And we said to ourselves that this would be a good test for us. This would be a good indication whether or not we are meant for each other if I were to go away for four months. And so we parted ways with tears in our eyes, and, and, uh, and I went to Costa Rica, and she stayed home. Well, I get to Costa Rica, and the program director, uh, there's about 40 students in the room, and the, the director of the program, the first day of classes in Costa Rica, the first question out of his mouth is, raise your hand if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend. And so about 20 or so, half of the 40 students raised their hands. And he smiled, and he looked at us, and he said, I'm going to ask this question again at the end of the semester, and not one of you will have your hand raised. I was like, what? What kind of, what kind of, what kind of statement is that? Not one of us will, be, will retain our relationship with our significant other back in the States? That was his bold, bold declaration. But, ladies and gentlemen, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And sure enough, by the end of the semester, when he asked the question, okay, how many of you still have a boyfriend or girlfriend back in the United States? Guess who the only person who raised their hand was? Me. That's right. I proved him wrong. And, and you know, for those of us who truly love one another, when we are absent, it only further confirms our love for each other. And I waited four months to get back to see my Casey. And sure enough, two weeks after I got back, I proposed. So I couldn't, I couldn't wait any longer. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. When we are away from the person we truly love, it only brings us closer together. Today, we are going to be reading in the book of Philippians. And we've, we're continuing this study. 
We've started in the summer. We took a little bit of a break. And now we're continuing on going verse by verse through this book. And today we're landing in verse 19 of chapter 2. And here we are going to see a situation in which absence is making the hearts of Paul and the church at Philippi grow fonder together. The church at Philippi, as we read today in chapter 2, have not seen the Apostle Paul for over five years. Paul's been in prison, and they've been absent from him. Neither had they seen Paul's friend and fellow worker Timothy for perhaps a number of years. Moreover, the church at Philippi had just sent a delegate, one of their own leaders. His name was Epaphroditus. And this man had left Philippi to go and minister to Paul in prison in Rome. And again, they were without one of their leaders. Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus were all gone from the church. Key men whom this church loved dearly. Yet, the church's love for them grew all the more in Paul's absence, in Timothy's absence, and in Epaphroditus' absence. Turn with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 2. You're going to see it up on the screen as well. We are going to start in verse 19 and see today how absence truly does make our love for one another grow. Take a look at Philippians 2. We're going to read verses 19 to 30. Here we go. Verse 19. Paul says this, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you, Philippians, you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me, But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask even now that you would calm our hearts. May we be attentive to your word. Father, your word is inspired by you. It is God-breathed and it is useful to us. Every portion is. And today, Lord, we we are dealing with a a rather straightforward passage. There's uh, 
There's not too much that, that is unknown in this text. It's very plain and simple and straightforward, but Lord, it has some precious, precious truths for us to grasp. Help us as we understand your word today. In Christ's name, amen. Before we get a little deeper into the text, I wanted to give you a little bit of history again. A little bit of a recap about the church at Philippi. So bear with me just a second. Those of you who are history buffs, you're going to like some of this. This gives you a little bit of a glimpse of what the church at Philippi, how it came to be, how the city came to be. First and foremost, the city of Philippi, located in Asia Minor, was settled by the Greeks in 361 B.C. Settled by the Greeks. And five years later, there was a man by the name of King Philip of Macedon, King Philip II, who renamed the city after his namesake. By 167, of course, Rome had overtaken uh, the land, if you will. They assumed the power in that region of the world. And they used Philippi as a central stopping point on the Via Ignatia. Now, the Via Ignatia was a superhighway in the ancient world. I want to show you a picture of what it, uh, the location of this highway. Now, you can barely see it in red there. See how it goes across uh, the northern uh, uh, region there above the sea? This highway, although you can't see Rome to the left, Rome is off there and the highway would connect basically all the way from Byzantium and even further on down, all the way across to Rome. It was the main marketplace highway, if you will. The, the main thoroughfare, much like I-5 is for us as we go from California to Oregon to Washington, this was the main region uh, in which business and commercial and, and the missionaries would carry their letters. This was one of the highways in which they would walk upon. And the Romans had, had, had constructed this highway. And Philippi is right in the smack dab middle of it. So Philippi is a strategic city, a strategic location, in particular for the church, the early church. Well, following the, the death of Christ, Philippi comes into a little more prominence. In 50 A.D., Paul, the Apostle Paul, visits Philippi and starts the Philippian church. You can read about that in Acts chapter 16. About seven years later, Paul came back to Philippi, and it's indicated in Acts 20 that he celebrated a particular feast, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And what does that tell us about the church? Well, in my mind, it tells me that the church was maturing, that it was growing, that Paul felt comfortable enough to come back seven years later and to participate in a feast in which dedicated followers would participate in. And so this is a small indication that the church was perhaps moving forward and maturing. And finally, 61 AD, this is the time, about 61 or 62, this was the time in which Paul wrote the letter to Philippi. So he's been away from them for quite some time. In fact, he's been imprisoned for over three years. He's been imprisoned for over three years. Now let's get to the text. We're going to look at it verse by verse. Try to understand it. Try to pull out some of the principles within it. Look at verse 19. Paul says this. But I trust, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. Now, Timothy was also not foreign to the church at Philippi. Timothy was one of Paul's right-hand men. And in fact, in Acts chapter 16... Just prior to Paul coming to Philippi for the first time, he had just brought Timothy on board as one of his missionaries. So Timothy, one of the first experiences that Timothy has 
in ministering to a church as a believer was the church at Philippi. Philippi and Timothy held a special bond together. And Paul is saying, I'm in prison, but you know what, Philippi? Timothy's with me, and I want to not only encourage you, but I want to be encouraged. So I'm going to be shortly sending Timothy to you. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. That word trust there has the idea of uh, hope or expect. He's anticipating that Timothy will go on his behalf to Philippi. And that he's also anticipating this. He's anticipating uh, being encouraged when he knows their state. Not only did Paul expect that he would be sending Timothy, but the text indicates that he was sending him for the express purpose of being encouraged. In other words, the, the, the idea in Greek here is that the word encouraged there has the concept of I am utterly convinced that, that this will mo- most likely encourage me, the report that Timothy gives me. The report that Timothy gives me is going to be an encouraging one because I know about this church at Philippi. I know what kind of church it is. And what kind of report did Paul expect to hear? What kind of report did Paul expect to hear? I would point back at chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. Look what he admonishes the church to do. He says, fulfill my joy. In other words, encourage me. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Having the same love. Being of one accord. One mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. This is what would encourage Paul. And we've been studying through Philippians, as I said, all summer. And I can't express enough how critical that section is, verses 2-4. to four. It expresses the unity that Paul deeply, deeply desires the church at Philippi to have. And as a consequence, all churches to have. He wants us to be of one mind, of one accord, that we would be united. Now, in this next section, the next three verses, Paul is going to spend a bit of time commending Timothy to the church at Philippi. He's going to spend a bit of time praising Timothy. And I would like to speculate with you why he's doing this for just a moment. Um, there are two reasons, most likely, why Paul is commending Timothy to the church at Philippi. The first is this. Timothy is a leader in the church. And yet Timothy is a relatively young man. Some would estimate that he's in his 20s at this period in, in, in time. And Paul is going to write words of admiration and encouragement and approval of Timothy in the next three verses, in my opinion, to, number one, substantiate Timothy as a leader in the church. He's going to say, you need to pay heed to this man because he's earned it, because his character shows it. And Paul's going to give other aspects of Timothy that show that he's worthy of the Philippians' respect. But secondly, secondly, another reason why Paul is most likely going to commend Timothy here is, you know what? Timothy is just months away. Just months away from taking on full responsibility in a church in nearby Ephesus. You know, the book of the Bible, Ephesians. Well, also, and then the, the books 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. These were books, First and 2 Timothy, written to Timothy by Paul. 
while Timothy was pastoring in Ephesus. And Paul is going to commend Timothy in Philippians, and just months later, he's going to send Timothy for his first sole responsibility in Ephesus. So he's preparing him. He's preparing him for leadership. And parents, teachers, notice how Paul does this. As we prepare the next generation of leaders, we need to encourage them. And that's what Paul is going to do right now. Let's take a look at verse 20 to 22. Verse 20 to 22, Paul says this about Timothy. He says, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know His proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Okay, a few things here. The first word, like-minded. Similar to, but not the same as the like-minded of verse 2 in chapter 2. Similar to, but not quite the same. The, the aspect here is more of the idea of he is a kindred spirit. He is a man after my own heart, Paul says. Timothy is a man after my own heart. He is a kindred spirit to me. The New American Standard translates it kindred spirit. So some of your Bibles may have that. We're looking at the New King James right now. Timothy is a kindred spirit of Paul. Secondly, look at the word care. Now this is a great word. Because you know what? This word care is almost always used in the negative in the New Testament. In fact, it's the same word Jesus used for when he says, do not worry. Okay, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus spends a great deal of time saying, don't worry. Don't worry about the things of this life. Don't worry and don't be anxious, but rather put your anxieties upon me, Christ says. And Paul later on in Philippians 4 is going to say, don't be anxious about anything. Don't, don't, don't be worrisome. Don't be anxious. But here, this word is going to be used in a positive light. This word, care, means worry or to be distracted by or to be anxious. But Paul is using it in a good light here. He's saying, Timothy is one who worries about you. Timothy is one who is distracted by you, church at Philippi. And what a, what a magnificent statement. How heartwarming it would be to hear that someone is distracted by you. They worry about you in a good sense. They care for you, sincerely care for you, as the New King James translates it. Timothy was anxious to minister and to love and to serve the people at Philippi. Verse 21. Take a look at the words, their own. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Now this word... This construction, their own, is what we see in Philippians 2.4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Same exact construction. Tim, uh, Paul here is saying that Timothy does not look for his own needs. Timothy does not look for his own interests in life. Timothy is selfless. He's caring. He's distracted by you. All seek their own. This is a general way of saying that that generally speaking, people don't do this. But Timothy does. He does seek the things of Christ, not the things of his own interest. Verse 22, But you, Philippians, you know his proven character, that as a son with his father he served with me in the gospel. This word, proven char- this phrase, proven character, is the Greek word dokimen, 
And it has to do with being approved in Christ. We see this word again and again in the New Testament in both as a noun and a verb, excuse me, as an adjective. And it has the concept of being, of going the extra mile. Of going the extra mile for Jesus Christ. And Timothy is one who has proven character. The Philippians know it because he served them already in 50 AD and in other instances throughout this time leading up to Paul's imprisonment in 60, 61 AD. And the church knows about Timothy. They know that he has proven himself. He is a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Paul calls him a son. He is like a son to me. I am like a father to him. And a son, how does he act toward his father? He's submissive. He defers to his father's authority. He's respectful. And of course, Paul says, and why is he doing this? He's doing this for the sake of the gospel. The word gospel there, used nine times in the book of Philippians. I can't stress enough that, that, that this is... This is the epitome of the book of Philippians. A lot of times people say, well, Paul's talking about joy in Philippians. Yeah, it has to do with being joyful in the Lord. I I beg to differ. I think that joy is a key concept in Philippians. But what takes preeminence in Philippians is people who labor for the gospel's sake. And what is the gospel that Paul means? The person and promise of Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah of Israel, and his promise for everlasting life. Paul is saying here that Timothy is a laborer on behalf of the person and promise of Jesus Christ. And that takes preeminence. People who do this should be respected. Verse 23. Take a look at verse 23. Paul now is going to reaffirm what he just said in verse 19. He says again, Therefore, I hope, to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Now you'll see uh, some coloring up there on the screen. Uh, At the top in verse 19, the word I trust in yellow. And then again in verse 23, I trust in yellow. Uh, That's the same Greek word that we talked about, hope or expect. I anticipate that this will occur. But the I trust in verse 24 is slightly different. Here Paul is saying that I am persuaded... And, the, and, the, and the, 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 weight of the, the weight of the verb is, I'm persuaded and I continue to be persuaded. I am constantly persuaded that I will come to you shortly. What does this indicate to us? Very simply, that Paul is anticipating release from prison. He's been in prison for a long time. First, he was in prison in Jerusalem. And then off to Caesarea. And then they shipped him to Rome. They, they shipped Paul all over the ancient Near East. And finally, now he is in Rome, but he's getting closer to release, and he is anticipating release. He's saying, I am persuaded and continue to be persuaded that I will come to you shortly. I anticipate being released from prison. And what is the object of his confidence? Notice, in the Lord. He says it twice. I trust in the Lord Jesus. I am persuaded in the Lord. The object of Paul's confidence is the fact that God can deliver me. God is the one who can do this. I'm not trusting in myself. I'm trusting in one who is able to take me out of this state. He's trusting in the Lord for his deliverance. Before we leave this section on Timothy, this is all all with respect to Timothy, I want to highlight again 
what Paul says about Timothy. Take a look at the next slide here. Notice in yellow, Paul, what Paul is doing, it seems rather simple. And you look at this and you say, well, this is, this is very straightforward. How can, I, how can I apply any of this to me? Because Paul's talking directly to the church at Philippi about a man named Timothy, and you and I are kind of at a disconnect right here. It's, it's kind of like it's, it's otherly. It's happening over here, back in the first century. How in the world did this apply to us? My point is this. Parents, teachers, you who train up, all of us are involved in training up others. Notice how Paul is training up here. Notice what he's doing with a young man in the faith. He's saying he is like-minded. He sincerely cares. He has proven character. He's like a son to me. He has served with me in the Gospel. Paul is repeatedly giving words of affirmation to Timothy. Not just for the Philippians' sake, in my opinion. Not just for Philippi to hear, the people at that church. No. He's doing it. You know why? Because guess who's over his shoulder as he's writing this letter? Timothy is. Timothy is with Paul in Rome. And while it's unclear if Timothy's in prison with him or probably out of prison since he wants to send him back, Timothy is the one watching Paul and with Paul as he's writing this letter. How do you think that made him feel? How do you think a young man in the faith such as him felt when a mature believer wrote these words of affirmation about him? I would venture to say that it really strengthened him. It really built him up. And that is what we can pull from this first section of Scripture here. Paul's boast, let me, let me be clear, and it's also on your outline, Paul's boast of Timothy is not happenstance. It is not coincidence. It is not just, well, it just occurred in the text. It is with great intention that he commends Timothy in the way that he does. For Timothy is just months away from assuming full responsibility of the church in nearby Ephesus. Paul has this in mind. I have no doubt. He has this in mind, and he knows that Timothy needs that little extra oomph to move forward. Now he's going to switch gears in verse 25. Now we're going to look at a whole new uh, uh, theme here. Now Paul's going to talk about another man, and this man's name is Epaphroditus. Long name. And Epaphroditus uh, is only spoken of in the book of Philippians. There's an Epaphras in other parts of Scripture, but it's most likely not the same person. So we're about to learn about this man, Epaphroditus. And based on chapters 2 and 4 in Philippians, it seems clear that he was a, a fairly prominent leader in the church at Philippi. Epaphroditus traveled. He was sent as a mailman, if you will, on the long journey on the Via Ignatia, the highway, from Philippi to Rome to bring Paul a financial gift and other unspecified gifts. We, we see this all in chapter 1, verse 6, and in chapter 4, verse 18. While Paul was imprisoned, Epaphroditus came on behalf of the church. And now we pick up the theme with Epaphroditus in verse 25. Take a look, and again, notice, if you will, notice how Paul speaks of Epaphroditus. It is absolutely critical that we see this. Look at verse 25. And I've left out verse 26. You'll find out why in just a minute. Verse 25. Yet I considered it necessary. I considered it necessary, Paul said, to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Verse 27, For indeed he was sick almost unto death. I'll stop right there. 
Now speculate with, with me if you will. This is a, I, I've, I've done this very intentionally. Um, if, you don't, if you're not seeing verse 26 there, would you have any problem with what Paul said? Paul, in essence, is saying, I'm sending back your delegate, Epaphroditus, and I'm sending him back because he's sick. In fact, he's very sick. And so I wanted to send him back to you. Well, that seems reasonable, doesn't it? It seems reasonable that Paul would do something such as this. And if he wanted to save some ink on his papyri scroll, he might simply have just stated it just as is. Right? Right. But you see, what was Paul's intent here? Paul's intent is to continue to build up leaders. Paul's intent is to continue to foster unity. Paul's intent is to say, men like Timothy and Epaphroditus, I want you to see how much they love and care for you. And in so doing, all, what he is doing, Paul, is cementing the bond between Timothy and the church. Cementing the bond between Epaphroditus and the church. And this is why we see verse 26. Look at verse 26. Look what Paul says here. He says, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick almost unto death. Do you see my point? Paul could have easily left out Epaphroditus' emotions in verse 26. We wouldn't have squawked a bit. We would have read it and taken it as is. Oh, he's sending back the sick guy. Yeah, of course he is. That, that's, that's nice of him. But you see, Paul was very intentional. And the Holy Spirit of God inspiring these scriptures through Paul was very, very intentional with every word, with every phrase of scripture. And so it is not without surprise that we should see a verse such as verse 26. Because the purpose of this verse does what? It builds camaraderie. It builds unity. It tells that church at Philippi, your leader, he loves you. He loves you. He longs for you. He is distressed because he knows you are worried about him. Paul did not have to include this, but he did. And I, I would venture to say he did so with extreme intention. That intention is to build up the church. Paul alludes to Epaphroditus' deep longing in verse 26. Deep longing to be with his church family. And that becomes the reason that he sends him back. Not the fact that he's sick. The reason Paul sends him back is because Epaphroditus says, I want to be with my church family. I long for them. On your outline there, Paul is eagerly taking advantage of an opportunity to promote unity in the church at Philippi. Eagerly taking advantage of an opportunity to promote unity in the church at Philippi. The old adage is true. Actions speak louder than words. That's fair enough. We've heard it before. Actions speak louder than words. Well, in this case... The exact opposite is true. Paul's words meant so much to this church because what they did, just in the, in the phrases in verse 26, what he did in a few short words is establish love and camaraderie 
among the people, among the saints at Philippi. And that is what we should strive for. We should strive to go the extra mile to promote and to foster unity with one another. Let us always be mindful to edify and to build others up, as Paul did to Timothy and to Epaphroditus. Okay, really quickly, verse 27. We see that he was sick unto death. Sick unto death. A good example that bad things do, in fact, happen to good people, don't they? Um, Epaphroditus doing a good work, being a delegate on behalf of the church, coming to Paul with money and gifts, and he gets sick. He gets gravely ill. And yet, yet God has mercy on him, it says in the text. Take a look at verse 27. Yet God has mercy on him. Verse 27, For indeed, Paul affirms, that Epaphroditus was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. That phrase, sickness unto death, means he was sick, resembling death. He looked the part, Paul says. He, Paul really did anticipate that Epaphroditus was nearing the end of his days. He was resembling death. And yet, God intervened. Um, and we need to stop there. Because we need, in moments like these, it's, it's easy to read through the text and, okay, let's, let's finish it. And, but did you just see? God intervened, Paul says. God had mercy. This man was gravely ill and I, I thought he was going to die, basically, is what Paul's saying. I thought he was at the end of his days. He resembled death. But God had mercy. Our God is a God who's able to heal. He doesn't always do it when we ask Him to. Sometimes His purposes are higher than ours. But let us not overlook this. God has the capacity to heal and to save and to deliver and to rescue and we should not overlook these moments in Scripture in which God performs miraculous, the miraculous. He had great mercy on Epaphroditus and restored this man to health. And Paul says this was not just mercy on Epaphroditus, boy, this was mercy on me. Because Paul was already grieving that Epaphroditus was sick. He was already worried that this messenger, this good messenger from the church, would fall dead. And Paul said, but God had mercy on him and on me because now that he is alive, I do not have to have sorrow upon sorrow. I do not have to grieve his death in addition to this grave illness that he had. Verse 29, coming to the conclusion here. Paul says this about Epaphroditus. He says, receive him. Receive him. Therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ, He came close to death, not regarding His life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward Me. Two commands here. Receive Him and hold such men in esteem. These are imperatives in the Greek. Commands. Things that Paul is saying, Philippians, you need to do A and B here. And part A is you need to receive Him. That is to say, you need to welcome him. You need to show hospitality, if you will, to Epaphroditus. 
for His great work. That is my expectation of you. To receive Him with all gladness. To take delight in His return. And secondly, and perhaps more importantly here, is He says, I want you to hold such men in esteem. I want you to respect this man. I want you to honor this man. I want you to show your appreciation to this man. You know, respect is unique. In the business world, how do we get respect? Well, usually we have uh, the, the word CEO behind our name. In the academic world, how do you get respect? Well, usually you have the, the letters PhD behind your name. Oftentimes in the secular marketplace, if you will, we get respect based on our title. I'm an elder, or I'm a pastor, or I'm a president, or I'm a vice president. We think of respect in terms of title. And Paul says, no, respect has nothing to do with title. Well, it does, but it has more to do with conduct. Respect is earned. Esteem is earned. And he says, I want you to hold such men in respect and he gives the reasons why they should respect him. These are the reasons. Because one, for the work of Christ, he, Epaphroditus, came close to death. That is why you should respect him. He came close to death on behalf of Christ. Not regarding his life, Paul says. He had no regard for his personal interests. Lastly, he came because he was going to supply Paul with what Paul lacked. To supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Paul says we need to show respect to these kinds of people. Sure, at times we need to show respect to those with a title before or behind their name. And that's important. But moreover, if you desire to earn respect, to garner respect from others, is conduct. It's your conduct. In particular, it's your conduct with respect to Jesus Christ. To supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Uh, this, is, uh, this is not that they were lacking toward Paul, but that they lacked opportunity toward Paul. The church was very gracious toward Paul, but they lacked opportunity. And now they had finally had the opportunity to come and to show Paul appreciation through financial gifts and other gifts. Well, how do we apply this? Um, as I said, we're going through Philippians. And... I'll be perfectly honest with you. When I came to this portion, 19 to 30, I thought, wow, that's it's kind of dry. It's kind of bland. It's, kind of, it's a portion of Scripture in which I, I, I'm not going to walk away fired up, if you will, with some great new thing that I've learned from the Scriptures because this is a very straightforward portion of Scripture. And sometimes you encounter those portions. But I did find as I was considering how to apply this, I found some very helpful tools that I think we can all grow from. And the first is this. I want you to consider, and this is rather elementary, but when you are absent from someone you love, when you are absent from someone you love, we miss them dearly. And I want to ask you the question, do you miss your church family when you're away from them? I know that that's a rather elementary question. But Paul, what we're seeing here in 19 to 30 is people who dearly miss each other. And do you, do you miss... Coast when you're gone? Do you miss your church family when you're gone from them? You miss your family when you're gone from them. You miss your wife and your husband when you're apart. Do you miss coast when you're apart? Uh, 
If the answer is no, I would, I would encourage you become a part, a greater part of this family. This is a family. We are united under Christ. And we should miss each other. We should long for each other as Epaphroditus longed for his church family. Do you miss your church when you're away? Secondly, and this is very key because this is throughout the text, speak words that contribute to the unity of the body. Speak words that contribute to the unity of the body. Be especially encouraging to future leaders of the church as Paul did to Timothy and also to Epaphroditus. Paul was so intentional. You look at that verse 26, he did not have to include that, but he did, and he did it with great intent. Speak words that contribute to the unity. And finally, a a, a very key theme here, show hospitality and honor to those who endure hostile environments for the work of Christ. We see Paul asking this from the church in in their interaction with Epaphroditus. And the people up on that missionary board behind you, uh, those photos, a lot of those people are in hostile environments. We need to honor them and show them respect, in particular when they're here with us. Um, Show honor and hospitality to those who go the extra mile on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next week we'll be in chapter 3. I hope you'll all be here again. And let's close uh, in a word of prayer.